volunteered myself because she told me that they were looking for a speaker for their event and that she wanted to focus it on purpose. And God had been working this message out in my heart before that. And so when she said that, I um, got some courage together and I said, would you maybe consider having me come and speak? So if this is really good, you are welcome. (laughs) And if this is really terrible, it is Christy's fault. So it's perfect. Um, So thank you so much for having me. And I love that this is so close to Christmas um, because I think that Christmas is such a beautiful time of year and we have like all the twinkling lights and the Christmas tree and there's so much nostalgia and it's being with friends and family and it's so wonderful. But Christmas is also a really hard time for a lot of people. Um, And so I think, I'm so thankful that I get to be here and share this message about purpose um, and identity in Christ because uh, we need to hear it, especially when we're walking into sometimes a difficult season. Um, So thank you so much for having me, and I'm excited to share this with you. And I'm praying that after this we can walk into the Christmas season and 2019 feeling more refreshed um, and a little bit more focused. So... I want to start by talking about purpose, which is what this is about. And um, purpose is one of those needs that are innate inside of every every person. God has placed that in us um, for a reason. So we have basic needs like food, oxygen, water, and then we have like spiritual deep needs. And purpose is one of those needs. And purpose goes along with two other things, purpose, meaning, and value. So we all are looking for purpose, meaning, and value in our lives. And it's not just people who are followers of Christ. It's all of humanity looks for purpose, meaning, and value. Um, We see that in so many things. People are looking for that. Um, Even I'm I'm currently trying to uh, obtain a degree if it doesn't kill me, in uh, Christian counseling. And that is a reoccurring theme through all of my Christian counseling classes is purpose, meaning, and value, because it is so important. And it's not just, like I said, in Christianity, it's in all of psychology because it's just an innate need. Um, Psychology Today states that having a strong sense of purpose can have a powerful and positive effect. When you have a sense of purpose, you never get up in the morning, morning wondering what you're going to do with yourself. When you are in purpose that is engaged with and working toward your purpose, life becomes easier, less complicated, and less stressful. You become more mono-focused, like an arrow flying towards its target, and your mind feels somehow taut and strong with less space for negativity to seep in. So purpose is a big deal. Because when we don't have purpose, we're thrown off our game. We can't do it. It's hard. Things are stressful. And so purpose is really, really important, but it's not always easy to find what our purpose is. Um, We all are striving for it. And I think we all fall short of it. And that becomes frustrating. Just human nature, it becomes frustrating because it's something that we need. But before purpose comes something else. I think we focus on purpose, but really purpose is just a symptom of having something else figured out. 
And I think what that is, is our, our identity. If we don't know what our identity is, we're not going to be able to really understand what our purpose is. And we can find that in life, we, I think this is true for a lot of things in life, that we focus on this thing here before getting like this thing figured out. And so when I was thinking about purpose and learning about purpose, and even from when I first felt like God was moving this in my heart, he's um, evolved it from that to really what we need to talk about, which is our identity. Um, just as God created us and he placed that innate need to know what our purpose, um, that we have purpose, meaning, and value, he, before that, he created us to know him and to be known and to, for us to know him and for him to know us deeply. It's not just about us, you know, praying. Like, he wants to know us, too. And so Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created us to be like him and to know him deeply. That is our identity. You could describe your identity as, I have brown hair, except for when I put highlights in it, and so now I have blonde hair. So I have brown hair, I have brown eyes, I have three children, I'm a wife, I believe in Jesus, I run a nonprofit, and all of this starts to form our identity, who we are. But there's something more to that. And I said that the world, everyone, we all need to have an identity, or we all need to have purpose in life, but as Christians, we need to really evaluate what our identity is. So if we are followers of Christ before anything else, we have to be able to say, I'm a child of God, I'm created in his image, and since I am a child of God, I am loved, I am redeemed, and I am safe. And before anything else, that has to be our identity. That is what we have to understand is who we are. It's not our, that's not our purpose. Who we are isn't our purpose. Who we are is that we are children of God. So really, identity is going to always be greater than your purpose. And it's like, I almost want to look at it as a math problem, like identity greater than purpose. And so when we're struggling with purpose, it doesn't always mean we're struggling with our identity. But if we're struggling with our identity, we're always going to struggle with our purpose because our purpose is going to be automatically misplaced right away if we aren't secure in who we are as children of God. And I think that that's what's hard sometimes about the holidays is because it's easy to find our purpose in being like a daughter or a mother. Um, but when things get difficult, it's an affront against your identity, if that makes sense. It's an affront against your identity. So your purpose may be in this thing, but like if that gets assaulted and you know your identity is in Christ, it's not so devastating. So, and I want to just reiterate that if your identity is in wife, it's a misplaced identity. And therefore your purpose is going to just be misplaced. If your identity is in mother, it's misplaced. 
if your identity is in whatever job you do, if your identity is in um, a, a volunteer, it's going to be a misplaced identity. And don't like I don't want to get that confused with. I'm not saying that your purpose isn't in being a mother. It absolutely could be in being a mother and being the best mother to, the, to your children that you can possibly be. But if your identity in the, um, is just in that role, when that identity, when that role changes, it's going to be really hard to pick yourself up and, and, and walk through that. If our role as a mother to young children starts to change, and I use that as an example because I'm a mother to young children, um, starts to change, our, val- our value as a loved and redeemed and anointed child of God does not change. It does not change. But if our identity is just in that, we're going to have a hard time. What happens when the kids are gone? What happens when a divorce comes? What happens when you lose your job? Those are things that can knock your feet out from underneath you. And so if your identity isn't secure in Christ, it's going to be really hard to pick us up, pick us, pick ourselves up um, and allow God to pick, ourself, pick us up. So our identity then has to be in him. And when it is, that's when he leads us to what our purpose is. Only our identity will leave us able to stand when this ground is shaking. Only that identity in Christ will be able to let us say, but he is good. I think it's really hard to say he is good when the ground is being shaken out from underneath us. But one of the steps that we need to take is just really starting to understand who God has made us. And I just want to keep saying that, like, we all struggle with that. You be a Christian your whole life, and you know, like, yes, God created me, but what does that really mean? And I think we owe that to ourselves to, to understand what that really means. Our value doesn't come because of what we do. I I struggle with that. I don't know. I do a lot of things, and sometimes I really have to pray through that. Like, is this where I'm getting my value from? So our value is not because of, of the things that we do. It comes because we have accepted Christ, and we are now redeemed, restored, and renewed. And I, I know we like to make things really hard, and it's really just that simple. God does care about what we do, but it's who we are is what he loves. And so he cares about what we do, but who we are is what he really loves. So all of this seems really easy to say um, in this microphone and sitting here and hearing it, and we, we agree with it. But there are things that come against us when we're trying to understand and be secure in who God has created us to be. Um, And I think those are things that we have to really look at. Like, it all just gets deeper, you know, deeper and deeper in these these levels. And I think if we can break it down, it becomes easier for us to walk through it. Um, Now, we know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we know that the enemy comes in not not busting through the doors to kill, steal, and destroy. He comes in in lies and manipulation and, you know, secretly he comes in to kill, still, and destroy. And he does that in that he has like a still small voice too, you know, in the back of your head and these little lies and these little manipulations. 
And just like, you know, Job, he went through all these difficult things and the enemy knew that's where he could hit. Has anyone ever come up to you when you're standing and like pushed the back of your knee a little bit? It's just a little nudge and you're like, okay, now I'm an idiot. That's kind of like what the enemy does to us. He just attacks us in these little spots to make us stumble. And so when we can look at what those little spots are and what the enemy does, I think it allows us to be able to combat those things. And again, be able, when we feel like somebody did that to us, we can stand up and say, but I know I am that child of God. I know that I am created and redeemed. I know that I know that I know that I know that's who I am. And so what are those things? What does the enemy do? Um, I think the two main things that the enemy does is fear and shame. The enemy loves fear and shame because like I said, the enemy's not going to come in and just like, you know, stab you in the side and be like, okay, I killed her, destroyed, done. No, he's going to come in because he, he can't do that. The enemy can't come in and, you know, kill you, but the enemy can make you sit down. The enemy can lie to you so you're willing to sit down and take time out and say, no, you know, I'm going to step back. So he does that through fear. And fear is horrible. I mean, I think so many people deal with fear and fear is, fear keeps us away from big things, the things that God has for us. Fear pushes us back. Fear makes us sit down and fear makes us cling to safety. Fear makes me, right before I have to go on, want to be like, you know what? I could just go home. (laughs) That's what fear does. And there's different kinds of fear. We know that. There's real fear that's triggered by uh, danger and evil and past experiences that have turned out bad. That's real fear. And then there's perceived fear. And I, um, my two daughters are here and they probably remember this, but we visited um, the painted rocks that were up, you know, way up, up north. And I don't know if you've ever seen that YouTube video where people are crossing like a glass bridge over like, a, have you ever seen that? And like, they're like, like, I can't do this. And you're like, it's a bridge. Well, that's how I felt at the Painted Rocks. I am so afraid of heights that I'm like standing like 12 feet away from the plexiglass thing. And I'm like, it's, I can't. I, I'm like this. And my kids are like, what is, we're so embarrassed for you. We don't understand what you're doing. You're just freaking out. And, you know, it's, it's a, a rock. You're standing on a rock looking at a different rock with a barrier. And that's what fear does, though. It's like, it's, you're just, I can't do this. I cannot do it. And we all have fear. And uh, we don't just overcome fear because we're not afraid. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm just going to do it. You, we, don't, we never do that. So if you're waiting to not be afraid anymore, stop. Because you're always, there's always going to be that fear. We overcome fear because we are courageous. And that's when, you know, when God says in Joshua 1, 9, haven't I commanded you to be strong and courageous? Josh, they weren't not afraid anymore. They were still fearful, but they were courageous and they walked through that fear. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is doing something despite fear. And we can do things despite the enemy. And in the same category of, of fear is shame. And shame and fear walk hand in hand, and they're just super happy together. They're best friends. They have a bracelet. One has one side, one has the other side. And they always accompany each other. 
If you are having fear, you're gonna experience shame. Shame is a big deal. I don't know if anybody here has ever read anything by Brene Brown. If you have, um, good. And if you haven't, you should. And she is a um, she's a doc, you know she's a doctor in social work, and all of her research is done on shame and vulnerability, and it will change your life if you struggle with fear or maybe shame or maybe you're just perfect and you don't have any of those things but I think most of us struggle with that and so what she says about shame is that shame is the most powerful powerful master emotion it is the fear that we are just not good enough and that's all that shame is I messed up before and I am not enough I will embarrass myself for sure shame keeps us from connection shame keeps us from opportunities Shame keeps us from relationship, and shame always keeps us from purpose, always. And shame makes us say, I can't go. Fear might make us say, I'm going to wait until I'm done being afraid, but shame is going to tell us, you can't do it at all. Not going to happen, ever. And one more that I added with that is assumptions. And I think assumptions will be the death of us. Assumptions make you say, I want to do this, but I don't think they want me. I don't think I'm good enough. I think I will disappoint them. I think I'm not prepared. Those are all just assumptions that we make without any really solid proof that that is truth. And we just assume these things, and it opens us up to that fear and that shame, and we will just stay sitting still in our seats until the end, and we'll miss it. We have to combat those lies, and we combat those lies by, first of all, recognizing it's a tactic of the enemy, and recognizing that those enemy tactics are all the same. It's always that little voice It's always that little lie. It's always the little thing that just makes you stop. And then we have to recognize it's a lie, remind us ourselves that it's a lie. And then the hardest part, and which is that courage part, is we have to take the step forward. There's not often somebody behind you pushing you to do it. Sometimes you're really blessed in life and you get people that say, you can do it. Don't let this stuff get you down. But a lot of times we don't have those people or they don't even know because we're just sitting in our fear and our shame all by ourselves. We don't even tell anybody what we feel like God is putting in our hearts to do. And so we sit there in it and we have to take the step forward. And we remember when our identity is in Christ, he is always good to us and we are always good enough to him. And he always wants us And he always prepares us for what he needs for us to do. And it's true for every single one of us. God has a purpose for every person in this room. It's just really up to us to kind of discover what that purpose is. And we do that, again, by discovering what our identity is in Christ. Christ. When we first figure out what that identity is, it just really makes everything that much more easy. And it gives us hope and it gives us understanding, and it gives us that courage. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those 
who are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? That we glorify him. Full stop. That's his purpose in this world. And so we can walk forward. Okay, I'm a love redeemed child of God. He has a purpose for me. How can I glorify him? It's, it's like we make it so hard. You know, I have to do this. I have to just understanding those three things. So there is this story in the Bible that God, this was what really I started to feel like God was permeating in my heart for, for this day. And I love this story so much. And it's um, a story that I don't think we talk about very often. And I all of a sudden, you know, realized that I could talk about this story for a lot of time. And there's so much in it. And I don't know if you've ever had that Bible story that you've read over and over you've heard before. And it just was like, okay. But then you read it, and it's like you're reading it for the first time. And God just reveals all this theology and, like, good stuff in this story. And that story is um, the story of Hagar. Um, And that's found in Genesis 16, and that's where we meet Hagar. And Hagar is a slave, and she is a slave, and it's still Sarai and Abram at this point. Um, Hagar is a slave in Sarai and Abram's house. And Sarah couldn't get, Sarai couldn't get pregnant, so she gave her slave to Abram so he could have a child. And once Hagar becomes pregnant, Sarah becomes infuriated. Um, she might have been Italian. I'm Italian, and we do that. <laughs> we say, like, um, we make decisions, and then we're, like, really mad about the decisions. Like, and it's somebody else's fault. Maybe this is why Christmas is hard in our family. I don't, I don't know. Um, my sister is here. You could, we could talk about that maybe later. Yeah, some counseling. But yeah, we do that. So Sarah may have had a little Italian in her. Um, so she gets mad. She made the decision, then she gets mad. And we, we're here in Genesis 16.6. And I'm reading from the Message Bible. And this story is good in all, in all the versions. So, um, but I'm going to read from the Message Bible. And Abram says to Sarai, because, you know, she's all mad and she's like yelling at Abram. He's like, just, you decide, is what he says, actually. You decide, said Abram, your maid is your business. And Sarai was abusive to Hagar and Hagar ran away. So Hagar runs away and she starts walking, like, she's like, I'm, you know, I'm out of here. So first of all, she's a slave. She's pregnant. She's been abused. Um, she's running away. She doesn't, you know, have her car because it was Sarai's and she wouldn't let her use it. So she's walking. I'm assuming it's hot. You know, that region was warm. Um, and so she's like a mess. I just imagine her a mess. And one of the things that changed my life about reading the Bible was reading it as if it's happening now. Like, don't read it like it was, oh, yeah, you know, really long time ago. Read it like it's happening now. And you're a person, you're running away, and you're in the desert. Understand where it is. And, like, what would that be like? And so I'm just imagining this woman, and she's a mess, and she's pregnant. Like, that's awful. Okay, so she's running away, and an angel of God found her beside a spring in the desert. So, yeah, it was the desert. It says that here. And it was the spring on the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar... Made of Sarai, what are you doing there? I don't know. I've never been in the desert um, where God just appears to me. 
that's a big deal. That's noteworthy. He just appears to say, um, you know, an angel of God appears to her and says, what are you doing here? And she said, I am running away from Sarah, my mistress. And the angel of God said, go back to your mistress, put up with her abuse. But he continued and he said, I am going to give you a big family. Children pass counting. From this pregnancy, you'll get a son. Name him Ishmael. For God heard you and God answered you. He'll be a bucking bronco of a man, a real fighter, fighting and being fought, always stirring up trouble, always at odds with his family. And she, this is the most important part of this, and she answered God by name, praying to the God who spoke to her, you are the God that sees me. I'm just going to let that sit there for a minute. And I'm going to read it again. She answered God by name and praying to the God who spoke to her, you are the God that sees me. Yes, he saw me and then I saw him. And that's how that desert spring got named God alive sees me spring. That spring is still there between Kadesh and Bered. And in the Hebrew, that word for God that sees is El Roy. Just let it permeate your soul. El Roy. We have a God that sees. We have a God that answers. And we have a God who hears. That is the same God that we serve today in this room, right where we're at. The God that sees me. So beautiful. I want to put Elroy, like literally on everything. Everything. We have to remember that. El Roy, the God that sees. And that is not a new thing. He saw you yesterday. He sees you today. He'll see you tomorrow. And we focus on the story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. And it's not a bad thing. God redeemed Abraham. God gave Sarah a miracle. He saved Isaac and he birthed a chosen nation through them. It's a big deal. It's not that we shouldn't look at that story, but we have to look at Hagar. And Hagar was overlooked. And she was an example of what Abraham should not have done. And she, was, she has a son who is rejected. He's cast out by his earthly father and his wife. But God, and God spoke directly to Hagar first. He spoke directly to her. And she then answered God by name, praying to the God who spoke to her. And she says, you are the God that sees me. Yes, he saw me, then I saw him. He always sees us first. He always sees us first, and he sees you right now. In her mess, and her pain, and her sweat, and her tears, and in her abuse, and he saw her, and he spoke to her, and she named him. And before we get into our purpose and our identity, we have to understand that there's a fallacy out there that we have to be a certain way before we can serve God. And that is just a terrible lie. And it has to stop. People has, God has been using broken but willing people since the beginning, since Hagar, since before that. God saw Hagar. He protected her. He provided for her. And he had a purpose for her. And while Sarah laughed at God, Hagar named him, and that's a big deal. 
God did big things for both of these women. Of course, we know that. We know with Hagar that she was a slave. She was afraid. She was angry. She runs away. When she allowed God to see her as she was, he revealed himself to her, and she meets God and names God, and she is the only person in the Bible that names God like that. And he picked a slave to do that. And God wasn't going to birth a nation from her. Ishmael isn't a descendant, you know, Jesus isn't a descendant from Ishmael. None of that. She still got to name him. So does that mean that he's going to allow us to walk with him and to, you know, obtain his purpose of being glorified? He'll do it. God allowed a slave and a mistress to see him and name him, and it was without a breath of judgment or condemnation. And God, of course, did big things through Sarah, too. But it wasn't until she allowed him to see her as she was that he could do those big things. Sarah was the opposite. She was free. Hagar was a slave. Sarah was free. But that's kind of where the differences ended. Sarah was also afraid. Sarah was also angry. Sarah also had things going on. And when she allowed God to see her as she was, he revealed himself to her and he renames her from Sarai, which means princess, to Sarah, which means mother of nations. I don't know about you, but I would rather be a mother of nations, like nations, than a princess. Like give me that, give, yes, I will take that. And so God empowered her. He had strengthened her and he anointed her and they both obtained purpose. And then after I looked up that Sarah's name meant princess, I was, well, what does Hagar's name mean? And hers means stranger. And he worked in both of them the same way. He honored them both the same way. So, but they only obtained that when they let God define who they were. And I, again, identity is greater than purpose. And while one purpose Mother of nations might seem greater than the other purpose to our earthly eyes. In his great God eyes, they are the same because they all work towards his great purpose, which is all of humanity knowing who he is. When we stop feeling like our great purpose has to be power, authority, you know, this huge thing, we, we have to stop. We're going to change the world by introducing humanity to the God that loves them. So he doesn't choose only one for those great purposes. He chooses us all. He sees all of us. He chooses all of us. And he chooses us in our pain, our vulnerability. He sees us in our personal hurts and our shame. And he sees us in our hesitations and our assumptions. And he is really willing to work with you. All we have to do is be willing. So I want to share very quickly. I do not know how long I've been speaking. Hopefully, I'm still okay. Okay, great. Um, So I want to share with you a little bit about what I have found my purpose to be and my identity to be. And it's um, an interesting story and a weird story. So what Christy said was, you know, my husband and I have this missions organization over there and this is the perfect example of how God just works through people that um, don't have any idea of what they're doing and, you know, are living in difficulty or shame or vulnerability or not understanding, like, what is it that, you know, I, I desire this, but I don't know how to, to obtain this. So, um, you know, my husband and I, we have three kids. Uh, we homeschool our kids. I was a stay-at-home mom, and that was good. Like, it was good. 
And he started to, you know, um, pull our hearts towards missions for, for missions. And we didn't know why. And we took some time and we prayed about it. And we probably could have been more obedient to figuring out what that was, but we waited a long time and we just prayed and we, we tried to figure out what God wanted us to do. And we got invited to go on a trip to Cambodia in 2013. And we left our two-year-old, he wasn't quite two, um, our uh, four-year-old and our six, um, seven-year-old. And we went to Cambodia, which I look back and I'm like, I, I don't know, only God would make, make us do that. And so we went to Cambodia and we fell in love with this little country and we felt like God wanted us to do more. And in this process, we, you know, we went back two more times. We were able to raise funds to open a school there. But we really weren't putting our identity you know, in Christ. We were saying like we have this purpose and we're, we're doing this thing for Jesus. But the more that you share about a God who loves and redeems and is a hope for the world, and especially in places where it's very hopeless, God really starts to help you understand what, who you are in him. Because you can't help but be in awe of the great God that we get to serve when we know that he can go across all, to all ends of the world and he can reach people in the furthest corners where there's no church, where there's nothing for him. And a, a church evolves and is created and people start to worship God. When he says, I will make the rocks sing my praises, he is not kidding. He will go to every, ends of the, every end of the earth. And so the more we did what we were doing there, the more God was able to reveal to us how he saw just who we were. And so that happened. We opened our first school. And in 2016, we got this vision for Mission 25. So just to back up a little bit, when we first started going to Cambodia, we worked with an organization that was there. We didn't just go in there and say, oh, we're Americans. We know everything. We worked with, a, you know, we worked with an organization that was already there, and that's who we built the school with. And it was, it was good. And we got this vision for Mission 25 in 2016. And we were already working with this organization. Um, and we were kind of... Uh, confused why God would give us that vision because we were working with these people and very soon after that he revealed us to us why he gave us that vision and we found out the organization we were working with was misappropriating close to uh, misappropriating such a gentle word um, uh, close to $500,000 throughout different projects and from that explosion our school um, ceased to exist that we had built and all the peop- almost all the people that we worked with, um, ter- well, because we called out the, you know, we see this and this doesn't seem right. And there was a lot of offense and there was a lot of deception. There was a lot of lies. And we spent a good year, to part, portion of 2016 and 2017, trying to figure out what was truth and what was lie and what was deception and all of these things. And... We finally decided in April 2017, after going through all of this, that we were going to move ahead and that God had given us that vision to sustain us through this storm. And so we walked ahead with that vision. But if our identity had not been in Jesus, we would have walked away guaranteed. Because doing work in a country that's 8,000 miles away, that is primarily Buddhist, 
that only 2% of, Christi- you know, of people are Christians. There is spiritual warfare everywhere. It is hard just to go there under good circumstances. So when you're going over there and you don't know who's telling the truth, and there's crazy lies, and there's crazy amounts of money flying all over the place, it's even harder. And if our identity hadn't been in Christ, and we hadn't been sold out to the fact that it is our job to glorify God, we would have walked away, guaranteed. And because we didn't walk away, we started this organization. And in September of 2017, we opened our first Mission 25 school. And that school is in a rural province where there was no school for kids kindergarten through sixth grade. 80 kids go to school there now. The, all the families are ministered to. Our teachers, their picture is over there. Our teachers are Christians. They conduct church service on Sundays. It's a community center. They have games and art supplies. The older kids come for tutoring. The families are getting saved. Every, almost every person in that village is saved now. It's like this little city on a hill in the middle of literally nowhere Cambodia. Adana's been there before with us, and it is in the middle of nowhere. And God is moving. We're now working on opening a drop-in center for women and families that have been exploited and trafficked in the main city of Phnom Penh, and we're opening that in February. And if God, if we had not had our identity firm in Christ, that wouldn't be happening. I just know that it would not be happening because the purpose could get stripped away, but we can stand knowing what our identity is. And I want to say, I'm not telling you this because I think everyone should be missionaries in Cambodia, even though I will take you there. Because sometimes we compare ourselves and say, well, then I should do this big thing. My story is to say that God just does stuff with people who only need to be willing to make the step and say, yes, here, I will do it. I don't have like a degree in missions or business or anything, but he just has made a way for us to do these things. And I want to tell you that story because I believe we need to remember that God is not finished with us. There might have been a lot of times where we're just sitting in the chair and we're just not able to stand up. And he will stand with us until the very end and be willing to work with you if you're willing to work with him. Guaranteed. That's a guarantee. Okay. I just want to take a minute. I want to close with this devotional. I don't know if anybody in here knows who Paul David Tripp is. If you... Um, do. I don't know him and I don't make any money from his books, but I love them so much and you should get a devotional of his. But I just want to end with this. Everybody searches for life somewhere. God has placed this quest in each of our hearts. It is there to drive us to him. It is there because we were made for him. But sadly, in their lifelong quest for life, most people ignore God. In their God amnesia, they look for life where it cannot be found. And because they do, they always come up empty. It is important to realize that you can search for life in only two places. Either you have found life to the fullest vertically, or you are shopping for it horizontally. This is a major piece of what Paul is writing about in Romans 1.25 when he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. What is that lie? 
It is the lie that was first told in the Garden of Eden, the false promise that life, heart-satisfying life, could be found somewhere outside the Creator. It is the lie of lies, the cruelest lie ever told. If you believed it, it would not only leave you empty and discouraged, but it would set your life on a course of destruction. The physical created world is full of engaging and entertaining delights, but it is important to understand that nothing in the physical world can give you the life that your heart longs for. The delights of the physical world were carefully crafted to point to the one who alone is able to give your heart eternal delight. God alone is able to bring the deepest of joy and contentment to your heart. He alone is able to give you a reason for getting up in the morning and a purpose for living. He alone can infuse your heart with hope no matter what is going on around you. So in amazing grace, he welcomes you to surrender all your hopes and all your dreams to him. In love, he beckons you to follow. Again today, he promises you life. It's what he came to live, die, and rise again to give you. That empty tomb not only means that he has conquered death, but it tells you he has life in his hands, the kind of life all human beings were designed to long for, whether they know it or not. You can't find or earn that life on your own. It is yours only by means of the work of another. Could it be today that you will fretfully search horizontally for what you have already been given in Christ? Will you try to drink from an empty well when you have already been given thirst-quenching living water? I believe that God is waiting and he's willing, and all we have to do is be ready to be willing alongside him. You are his, and he is yours, and he will always make a way. So I do want to take a minute, and I think that maybe, you know, God is doing something in your heart. And I'm going to pray. And if you have never accepted Christ, this is a beautiful time to just ask him into his heart. And I don't necessarily think you have to have, like, this very nice package prayer. So I'm not going to pray a prayer of salvation you. I believe as we're praying, you pray in your heart, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know that I am yours and you are mine. And we're going to pray that if you do know Christ, that you can start to walk in that identity if you haven't been. And if you are walking in that identity and you are just longing for some purpose, I'm going to pray that God would open up what that purpose would be. And I think that some of the women here that are on the board are going to be up here to pray with you as well if you'd like to come up for prayer. So I'm just going to start and thank you so much for having me. Dear God, we just thank you, Father God, for this time that you've given us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just permeate the hearts of the women in this room just like you permeate mine, Lord God, that you would just pull them towards you, Father God, that they would know they are loved, that they are redeemed, that they are important, that they have purpose, they have value, and they have meaning because of you, Lord God. 
I pray for anyone in this room, Lord God, that doesn't know you, Lord, as they accept you into their hearts, Lord God, and that their lives begin to change, Father God. I just pray that you would anoint them and you would reveal themselves to you. You would reveal yourself to them, Father God. Lord, I pray for every woman in here who does know you but struggles with her identity in you. Remind her, Lord God, that you are the God that saved her, that you redeemed her, Lord God, just like you saved and redeemed Hagar. And there's nothing, no one, no thing that can take that away. So, Father God, I pray that you would bless and honor and permeate that woman, Lord God. And, Father God, I pray for the woman who does know that she is created and anointed and redeemed and loved, Lord God. I pray that you would bring her to a place of purpose, Lord Jesus, that you would be able to walk with her through her fear, that she would be able to push past it, Lord God, that she would have strength and that she would have courage, Lord God, and that she would be able to walk alongside you to find out what you would have her do when it comes to glorifying you, Father God, that you would glorify, that you would allow yourself to be glorified through every person in this room, Father God, that when we go out into this hurt and dying and sick world, Lord God, that we would be able to give them a little life through you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for this time that we had, and I just pray, Lord God, that again, you would bless these women. In Jesus' name, amen.